<laughs> well, this week, um, during the, the pandemic, I just kind of started paying a little bit more attention to the, the, our day-to-day life and just noticing things. And I just started writing about things that happened during the week. And I kind of kept up that, <clears throat> that habit, just really trying to pay attention to the, to the movement of God uh, in our world and in our lives and just kind of noticing those things uh, in my own life as well. <clears throat> and so today I, I hope um, that you can relate to this on that topic of forgiveness. It always seems to come up uh, again and again. And so I'd like to read here from uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4 here, as soon as I find it. And this is, um, Paul did not label this particular section, but in my Bible it's called Rules for the New Life. So someone would have called this section Rules for the New Life. And so Paul says, this is uh, chapter 4, starting with verse 33 here. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. That's that's enough right there. (laughs) We could stay on that one for our whole life. So put all these things away. And then he goes to the positive. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And this is the, the word of God for each and every one of us here today. Amen. <clears throat> so as we take some time just to, to pray and to reflect on these words, uh, the question I was thinking I'd like for you to ask yourself as well, should we, should we always forgive? And can we forgive ourselves and, and other people and hold each other accountable at the same time. So let's just take a few moments just to pray and to reflect on that. Let us pray. Amen. Well, should we uh, always forgive? And can we also forgive ourselves and others and be accountable at the same time? So anybody's thoughts on forgiveness and on your struggles with it or your success with it and (laughs) everything uh, in between there? Anyone? Thoughts on that forgiveness? Yeah, I agree. And that letting go, again, that's a struggle. (laughs) It can be be years and a long time to to learn to be able to let go. Maybe we let go in little pieces there, for sure. Well, um, as many of you know, um, we had our car stolen a few weeks ago. Uh, so there's all that trauma around that. And then just looking at things theologically, which is, can be a real pain sometimes. <laughs> like, oh gosh. <laughs> uh, just a kind of, Mark Twain had a quote. He was a really good theologian, by the way. He, uh, <laughs> he said, uh, the, the scriptures that I do not understand do not bother me. It's the ones that I understand perfectly well. <laughs> That bothered me. <laughs> uh, so Jesus is uh, pretty clear about forgiveness, and, and he practiced it from the very beginning to the end and beyond. He practiced forgiveness. And I think one of the things we need to do if we, if we want Christianity to remain relevant, we have to move into a practice, a way of life, or else it just doesn't really mean much. How do we live life? How do we treat one another, and how do we forgive? 
And so this past Tuesday morning, uh, I received a phone call. And the lady on the other end, she said, hello, this is Jane, Janet, rather. And I just, uh, she goes, I'm from the sheriff's office, and your car has been released, and you can come and pick it up. And I said, well, thank you. And I said, I'll be by on Wednesday morning to get our car. And when I heard this, I knew that our car was, in the, was impounded there. And my heart jumped up with excitement that we're going to get our car back. And at the same time, it sank with that phone call as well. And a few weeks ago, as some of you have heard, after a very long and peaceful walk at Sand Canyon, uh, when I returned to the lower parking lot there at McElmo Canyon, you know, it's have a big wide spot there to walk, uh, my mom's red Jeep Cherokee was gone. And it was just a whole bunch of feelings going on and thoughts in my mind. And I just couldn't believe it. And there was only about four or five cars there. And I was literally walking back and forth in front of them going, where's my car? <laughs> and I just thought if I kept looking, maybe my eyes were out of adjustment and I would see the red Cherokee and it wasn't there. I go, I just can't believe this. And I just kept staring at this empty space where I had parked my car. And then I also got to think, you know, being a little bit older, I go, well, maybe I didn't drive here. <laughs> I really thought that. Did somebody drop me off? and I forgot about it. <laughs> I go, how am I going to call them? I don't have a phone. So how am I going to call them? So well, maybe I drove here. And then I got, and then I talked to a guy in the lot, and he's, oh, you probably parked in the upper lot. And I went, no, I know I did not park in the upper lot. Oh, I can see the <laughs> similar experiences there. <laughs> so I was just walking back and forth. I go, I can't believe this has actually happened. And then I just kept thinking, it's got to be here. And it's kind of a strange feeling because you can clearly see it's not there, but I kept walking back and forth like it's, it's going to appear somehow or another. <laughs> and then I ran into a couple, and they were from Oregon, and they were loading up their bikes, and, and I said, I think my car has been stolen. Can I, can I use your phone to call the sheriff's department? And they said, yes, you can. And I said, oh, and by the way, can I have a ride to Cortez? And they said, yes. <laughs> And I said, well, where are y'all heading? They said, oh, we're camped over by McPhee. Oh, can I have a ride to Mancus then? <laughs> and so they were very gracious and kind, and they gave me a ride, and they let me use their phone as well. And so I reported the theft to the sheriff's department. And they looked for the car for two or three weeks. I don't remember the exact amount of time. And all their leads faded into the blowing desert sand, and they couldn't find the car. And so Jennifer, <clears throat> in the back there... <laughs> Well, you can't say the whole sermon here. <laughs> but that was my forgiveness with Craig. 
yeah, there, there was a, definitely a piece there, <laughs> for sure. And so Jennifer, my uh, uh, wannabe detective wife, and I said, is it all right if I say that? She goes, I'm not a wannabe. She goes, I am a detective. <laughs> So she took off, as she was explaining, she took off, and I didn't even know it, and she was on this wild goose chase, and she was going to find our car, which led her to a used car lot in Cortez, and that's another whole story. <laughs> but she found the car, and we had the car towed to the, the Cortez city yard so the sheriff's department <clears throat> could process the vehicle. And this is why I got the car, or the phone call rather, on Tuesday morning, say they were through investigating the car and that we could come pick it up. And so I was, uh, the sheriff actually drove me out to the, to the impound and he gave me the keys. He said, make sure it starts. He goes, I started it up and it's fine, just make sure, double check. So I did that. And so, but anyway, right before I started it though, I should mention, I opened the front door. It was just kind of this eerie feeling with that red crime tape across the door. And so I opened it up, and in the interior of the car was just this a collage of dust and personal items belonging to me, and also the person who stole the car. So it was kind of creepy, actually. <laughs> a little strange. But I was really happy to see my half-full plastic water bottle, uh, which uh, I have carried around with me since I was eight or nine years old, and my dad and I went up and down mountains in the Pacific Northwest, and we always carried this particular bottle. It's worth, it's not even worth a quarter probably, but it's worth a lot to me. So I was happy to see that. And also when I saw my water bottle, I noticed the thief also had an empty plastic water bottle. And it was from Kroger, which I bought out City Market. So I go, he probably bought that at City Market in Cortez. And it was empty. And I was wondering, since he wanted some water to drink, he could see my water bottle. I go, was he thinking about possibly drinking from my water bottle as well? And just these thoughts going through my head while I'm sitting in the, in the seat there, the, the driver's seat. And the man also had a nearly full can of caffeine-free A&W root beer in the center drink holder. Yeah, and I thought that was just odd. You could tell that he only, I picked it up, he only took two or three sips. And I go, he didn't drink much of this. He drank everything out of the water bottle and everything. He had a little juice bottle that he drank out of as well. And sometimes I, I know when I'm in a hurry, I'll grab a can or a bottle of Pepsi out of the convenience store cooler and I'll pay for it. And then I'll discover when I get back into the car that I mistakenly grabbed a cherry Pepsi or a diet Pepsi. And I was wondering if maybe he did that as well because he didn't drink much of it. So did the guy who stole our car, what was going through his mind? And surprisingly, uh, I, my wallet and my dad's wallet were laying in, in the front passenger seat. And it was my mother's car and she always kept my dad's wallet in the glove compartment just as a reminder. And they were just sitting side by side. And everything was in the wallets there, including $18 of cash that I had left in there. And he didn't, so he didn't use the money to buy the root beer or the bottle of water. And there was also an empty pack of marbles that were on the floorboard and a few ashes scattered on the center console. And I was wondering, did he roll down the windows when he was smoking in our car? I don't know why I was 
curious about that. Because I, I filled up the car at City Market, so it's full. And so by the time I got to San Canyon, it was still registered as full. And I could tell that half a tank was gone. So he drove anywhere from 150 to 170 miles in our car. And someone had partially pulled out the sound system, uh, which was just dangling from a, a few wires. And I was figuring that the job was in process, probably about the time this detective showed up. So uh, <laughs> they didn't finish removing the sound system. But everything was just surreal and an invasion of our personal space. And a few days prior to picking up the car, the, the sheriff's department told me that they had a bad guy in custody who had confessed to stealing our car. A bad guy. So we got the bad guy. And just, just kind of made me think. A bad guy. And I remember hearing Father Greg Boyle speak in Denver, and he's one of my heroes of faith. And as I have said many, many times, he's been working for over 30 years uh, with gang members. It's the most successful gang rehabilitation program in the country. And when he was speaking, someone asked him, how do you work with all these bad guys? And you're so happy and you're so cheerful. How do you do this? And I remember what he said. He says, I have worked with gang members for over 30 years. He's done so many burials as well. And he goes, if anyone could have met a bad guy, it's me. And he said, I have never met one. Never. And I also remember Father Flanagan. We went to the boys' town in Nebraska. And he said, there is no such thing as a bad kid. There's just bad decisions. There's no such thing as a bad kid, just bad decisions. So what lens do Boyle and Flanagan see the world through? Do they have the mind of Christ, or are they simply denying reality? And more importantly, how do we see the world? Do we divide the world into good guys and bad guys, good people and bad people? And how does Jesus see us in the world? Richard Rohr says, spirituality is all about seeing with new eyes. This is what that practice is about. <laughs> Throughout our life, learning to see with new eyes, how we see our, ourselves and how we see other people as well. So what does it mean to walk in faith when we have been violated by someone? Something has happened to us or maybe we did something wrong as well. And can I say... The Lord's Prayer, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Can I say this prayer with any authenticity if I don't practice it? And what does that look like? After all, there's a bad guy out there who has all of our personal information. And what if he's working with a lot of other bad guys as well? And we have the story of the prodigal father. We refer to it as the prodigal son. And he welcomes his lost son home, who has made many, many bad decisions. And what does the father do? He's just a, a stand-in for God. The father forgives him, and he restores him. Well, is this just a nice story for Sunday mornings? Or are we supposed to live this story out?
is restorative justice even possible in our system of law and order? And I could find myself asking myself, how many times should I forgive Jesus? And Jesus, what if the person is armed and dangerous? So I was going through all these thoughts, sitting there in that, in that lot. And I started my mother's car, and I did what any sensible person would do. I drove over to Burger Boy <laughs> for a breakfast burrito. <laughs> and I held my mother's small glass angel that she had dangling from the, the steering column. And I was wondering, did he see this angel? He had to see it because he was pulling stuff out of the, the dasher. Did he see this angel? And what did he think when he saw that angel? And I said a prayer, God, thank you that we have our car back. And then I threw the, the can of A&W root beer, the empty water bottle, and some dirty paper towels into the trash can. And I kept the empty package of marbles for some reason. Maybe because it was more unique and specific to him. And I was waiting on that, that food to arrive. <clears throat> I could just hear that prayer from the cross that Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And I prayed that day and even today, Father, forgive me, because I do not know what to do. Or maybe it's very clear what I am called to do. Because it's one thing <clears throat> for all of us to believe in Jesus. That's one thing. It doesn't really require anything of us. But it's quite another thing to try to live like Christ. And Paul writes, and we call this section the rules for a new life. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God. Amen. Every blessing. All right. <laughs> Let's stand and sing, and uh, we'll have Lee and uh, Aaron help us along. This is a new song Count Every Blessing.
it again.
It's really simple. <laughs> Let's go. One, two, You are 
Yeah.